Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Amen, amen. Good morning, Coastal family. How's everybody doing? Yeah, good. I feel like my voice is starting to go because I've been singing at the top of my lungs for two services now. It's a great worship service. But hey, look, there's two people or two types of people uh, that come to church, right? At least here at Coastal. There's the type of, of person that wakes up in the morning and says, thank God it's morning, right? Those are the 8.30 folks, right? Uh, that's not y'all, right? The other type of person, they wake up in the morning and say, oh God, it's morning, right? And that, that's mostly me, but today I did wake up early and I'm excited to come and share with you all this morning. Before I get into it though, I want to share a story that I heard the other day that I just thought was really good. Um, so there was a pastor one Saturday afternoon decided he was going to go out and visit some of the church members, right? So he goes to one church member's house, pulls up in the driveway, sees their car there, walks up to the door, hears the TV on, so he knows somebody's home, right? But he knocks on the door, rings the doorbell, and nobody comes and answers the door. Uh, so he yells out their name, thinking, well, maybe they're out in the backyard. Yells out their name, still nobody comes to the door. So he decides, I'm going to write a note, leave it there, I'll just follow up with them later. Pulls a card out of his pocket and writes on the, the card, Revelation 3.20, which is, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and invites me in, I will dine with him and he with me, right? So the next day after church, one of the offering counters uh, comes up to the pastor and hands him a card that was in the offering box. And he says, hey, this was in the box. I don't know what it is. Pastor looks at it. It's the same card that he had uh, left on the door the day before. But underneath his note was Genesis 3.10, for I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So, moral of the story there, if you go to somebody's house and they don't answer the door, it might be a good thing, right? It might not be a bad thing. But no, in all seriousness, I really appreciate you, Pastor Rod, giving me the opportunity to come up here and and share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, I I just want to let you know that whenever I get an opportunity to teach, whether it's Sunday morning, Monday night, anytime throughout the week, I I take it serious, right? I I don't try to approach it from a perspective of being a subject matter expert on anything. I ask God what he wants me to learn. And then I get up here and I preach to myself and and hope that you all will gain something from it. So that's what I'm going to do today. Um, So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, We've been going through a theme over the last few months of reaching out from a position of strength. Essentially, we're talking about reaching out to the lost and broken, right? But you can't do that if you don't know who you are in Christ, or if you don't know what you have to offer because of what Christ has given you, right? Um, So I'm going to ask you all to be a little bit vulnerable with me this morning. As you can tell, I'm very vulnerable up here. Um, And I'm going to ask you to participate a little bit just so I know I'm not the only one awake, all right? Uh, So if you could, or if you don't mind, raise your hand if you would say that you are a sinner. Most of you, that's good. See, the church, a lot of times in the church, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say that's good. I don't know. Uh, But a lot of times in the church, people struggle with calling themselves sinners, right? Because we're saved by grace. We're saints now, right? Um, So it's true. We don't have the identity of a sinner. That's not who we are, but we do still commit acts of sin, right? We can't hide from that. Nobody here is perfect. Pastor Rod says all the time, if you turn the lights off, Nobody here is going to glow in the dark, 
right? We all commit sin. It might not be, you might not be committing murder or adultery or stealing or telling big lies, right? But are you uh, responding negatively to people and robbing them of their joy, right? Uh, Jesus said that if you uh, lust over a woman in your mind, then you've already committed adultery. If you have hatred for a brother in your heart, you've already committed murder, right? Are you telling little white lies that, you know, you don't think are that big of a deal, but in reality they are? We might not be doing these major sins and breaking the law, right? But to, to know what is right and to not do it is a sin, right? And I'm not saying all this stuff to bring shame or guilt or condemnation or to convict you. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's job. Condemnation is what the devil does really well, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But I say all that um, because what we struggle with as humans, even after we've given our lives to Christ, is what the enemy will use against you to target you, to try to hold you down, to try to stop you from moving forward, to try to stop you from reaching out from a position of strength, right? Satan is not only the father of lies, but also of guilt and shame. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? He's going to lie to you, and he's going to tell you that well, you're saved now, right? So you should be perfect. Obviously, we're not perfect. So when we realize that, he's going to say, well, since you're not perfect, you must not be good enough, right? You should just give up now. You can't overcome it. You're not strong enough, right? Unfortunately, uh, he's right about that. But don't get too discouraged. I'll get to, to that in a minute. I want to bring the right perspective into it for a second. Flip the script, if you will. Uh, now, before I asked you to raise your hand if you were a sinner, most of you raised your hand. I understand if you didn't because of the whole identity thing there. But now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you would say that you are righteous. All right. All right. A lot of hands still. That's good. See, as a church, we oftentimes also struggle with that because people uh, oftentimes believe that the statement of saying that I'm righteous is a prideful statement, as if we have anything to do with being righteous to begin with, Right. And the world will tell you that you can't possibly be a sinner and be righteous at the same time. They're opposites. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day that I was going to preach on being a sinner and being righteous, and they called me a moron. And, oh, an oxymoron, of all things, right? <laughs> but I've got good news for you today, church. If you have given your life to Christ, if you are in him, then you have been declared righteous. There we go. You like that? That was a good segue into that. Shout out to Fred. I, I did this in the 8.30 service too, but even with all the travels, he still put together all these slides. So really appreciate you, Fred. I'm pretty sure he did it on the plane. So realistically, he didn't have anything better to do anyway, but we still appreciate you. Oh boy. No, God started to give me the revelation for this word about a month and a half ago. Right? I was at a, here at Coastal, we had a creative worship event um, and I was back there in the media booth because I was doing the slides, and I felt God uh, highlight one of my favorite verses. Um, and if you look at my arm closely, you'll see that I have a horrible memory. And so in an effort to memorize scripture, I tattooed some of them on my arm so that I could just look at it, you know, have a little cheat sheet there, if you know what I mean. Um, but that night, God highlighted Galatians 2.20 to me, which is the verse that I have right here on my left forearm. One of my favorite verses we go ahead and put this slide up. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's an amazing verse. I love that verse. It's been one of my favorites for 
years and years and years, right? Um, but it wasn't until recently that I had a true revelation of what it actually meant. See, a little backstory on the tattoo. It's actually not that I have a bad memory, so forgive me for lying to you. Um, so the story behind it is when I was a teenager, I was a really good heathen. And what I mean by a good heathen is not that, you know, I rejected God, but, uh, you know, I would go and, and volunteer at homeless shelters and put a coexist bumper sticker on my car or anything like that. No, it's not that. It's that I was a bad person, right? A good heathen is somebody that if you're going to do bad, might as well go all out, you know? If you're going to go to hell, might as well have some fun on the way there, right? And that's exactly what I was doing as a teenager as I, I was just a bad person or a good heathen, depends on your perspective. Um, I was involved in drugs, alcohol, gangs, steal anything I could, lie about everything. I was just a flat-out bad person, right? But I got radically saved when I was 20. And when I got radically saved, obviously those things started to break, started to change my life. Um, you know, I separated myself from the people that I was involved with. Um, I, you know, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped doing pills, all that stuff, stopped lying as much. Um, stopped stopped cussing as much. Uh, Some things took a little bit longer than other things to change, right? But there were also some some other things that changed. For example, my identity, um, I I had really long hair, came down right here. I always had it cornrowed. For those of you that don't know what cornrows are, it's basically French braids, right? But I always had my hair braided. People that saw me, they associated my hair with, with who I was. Also, my name, very few people outside of my family knew what my real name was because I went by the name Skits, which is short for schizophrenic. Don't worry, I'm not clinically schizophrenic. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but when I got saved, God changed my identity, right? He redeemed me back to who I was supposed to be, right? But I struggled for a few years because I had a tattoo on my left wrist here of skits of my old name. And back then, I didn't have all these other tattoos. It was just that one. And so for years, I I contemplated getting it covered up, just putting a cross filled in, completely covered up, right? Um, But that never happened, mainly because I didn't have any money to go get a tattoo. Um, But one day, I was reading through Galatians, and God gave me what Pastor Rod would call a zoom, zoom word, a word that just popped up off the page at me. I had read Galatians, you know, before. multiple times. I had been saved for four or five years, I'd read it through it several times. But that day, Galatians 2.20 really stood out to me, right? But even with that, for years and years, I would read that verse, look at my tattoo, and I still struggle with if it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, then why do I still sin? Why do I still fall short? Why can't I get it right if it's Christ in me that's doing it? Right? And it was that night at the creative worship night that God really explained it to me. And how he explained it to me, the zoom, zoom word that I got, was to keep reading. Right, Because sometimes we look at just a verse and we'll create a mindset around a verse. Sometimes we just need to keep reading. Right, And so I opened up my Bible app on my phone that night, and I read Galatians 2.21, which is, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, and there was no reason for Christ to die, right? You see, if we had the strength or the power or the ability to overcome sin on our own, 
somebody would have done it by now, right? Out of all the, the amazing people that have lived, all of the face of the or heroes of the faith, um, somebody other than Jesus would have been able to do it by now, but we haven't, right? If you look at Adam and Eve, obviously they're the reason we're in this mess to begin with, man. I can't believe them. Uh, Noah did some great things, built a really cool boat, saved mankind and all the animals too, right? But yet he still fell, his children still fell, everyone after him still fell, right? God sent uh, Moses, right? Moses delivered God's people from captivity, but yet he still fell. And, and he didn't even get to see the, the promised land. And everybody that saw all the amazing things that he had done, like they also still failed, right? God chose Abraham. Abraham heard the promise of God and then immediately turned around and, and found another woman to fulfill that, the promise of God with, right? God still fulfilled the promise, even though Abraham was disobedient. And yet Abraham still failed. His descendants still failed. God sent David, Solomon, all these other heroes of the faith, right? But yet every single person at one point or another has failed, right? So what I realized was that we ourselves are not strong enough to be able to overcome the power of sin, right? So when I said earlier that Satan says that you can't overcome it, that you're not strong enough, he's right. When I said that, it's true because we on our own cannot do it because if we could, somebody would have already done that, right? All right. But thank God we have Jesus. Jesus came. He was a sacrifice for our sin. He gave the atonement for our sin. He covered our sin. He covers our sin, and he will always cover our sin. Past, present, future, what he did that one day, that one time, will resonate and have the same effect for all of eternity, or not eternity, I guess, but as long as we're here on earth, right? So I, I want to make sure that you all understand that this is not an excuse to sin, right? I want to I just pray that we all have mature ears here today to hear what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that we can do whatever we want and God's grace is going to cover it, right? 221 says that we do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, right? There is an expectation, a responsibility for us to go out and do what is right in the eyes of God, right? We, we understand the law of God, and we're, meant to, we're supposed to do what's right, amen? And if you uh, were to go on willfully sinning, right, there are real consequences to our sin, right? We might not be condemned by God, but there are consequences that you have to deal with. So I would recommend that you don't trust the Lord thy God, right? But what I really want us to focus on today is that even though you will mess up, we will mess up, you must go forward, right? The enemy, one of his biggest tactics is to get us trapped in the guilt and shame of what we do, Right? He, he knows that we have a belief system that's right and wrong, which I'll get into that here in a second, but, um, but he'll use that when, when we know that we're doing wrong, he'll latch on to that, and he'll try to put you into a prison and hold you down there, right? Because as long as you're stuck in your mind, as long as you're stuck in your bedroom and not out there preaching the word of God, then he's winning, right? At least in his mind, he thinks he's winning. So we, we oftentimes, right, think about the battle in our minds of a battle between good and evil, which is true but it's really a battle between conviction and condemnation. Right? So I'm going to give the definitions of those from a biblical perspective. There's not the judicial uh, definition of conviction because that's slightly different, right? But when you look at the biblical uh, definition of conviction, it is a strong 
belief or opinion, right? Strong belief or opinion. Condemnation, on the other hand, is to pronounce to be guilty, to sentence to punishment, or to pass judgment against, right? The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The devil brings condemnation. And why is it important to differentiate? Because God is not going to bring punishment on you even though you deserve it. He's not going to say that you are guilty even though we are, right? He's got such amazing grace and mercy for us that even though we don't deserve it, he still is going to forgive us, right? Whereas the enemy, on the other hand, won't do that. And there's also, just to kind of give an example on a broader scope of the difference between conviction uh, and condemnation or what conviction really is, there are some things in this world, uh, especially in this country, that are up for debate, but, you know, mostly between Christians and non-Christians on whether or not they are right or wrong, right? You've got topics like abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism. Those are things that are pretty much evenly split down the middle. You have Christians who oppose those things and non-Christians, for the most part, who are for those things. And the reason why is because God has given us a strong belief, a strong opinion, right? A strong belief on what is right and wrong. The world doesn't have that same conviction. They don't, they don't have that same belief system that God gives us. So naturally, they're going to believe different than we do, right? But I'm not going to go too deep into that today. I just wanted to use that as a, uh, a large-scale example of why we have conviction others don't that are not uh, children of God uh, or that are not uh, saved by grace, I should say, right? But if we look at it on a personal level, when we do something wrong, we know right away, right? Like the conviction of the Holy Spirit is in us and will point it out and will tell us that we've done something wrong. Most of the time, we know ahead of time. We know before we do it, right? That conviction is there, right, for us to know right from wrong. But when we feel that conviction, the next step is not to condemn ourselves. See, that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to say, oh, you did that wrong. Let's sit here and think about it for a while. But the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to, to condemn yourself. You call out the wrongdoing, you repent, you go and sin no more, which is what Jesus told the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8, right? Which I'll talk more about that in a minute. But when Christ came down for us, he broke the chains of guilt. He broke the curse of condemnation, so that we no longer have to hold on to that. We are free because of him. And he sent the Holy Spirit so that we could live with that conviction, right? So recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit today, church, and be free from that condemnation. Um, the woman, uh, I talked about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. It's a perfect example of being declared righteous, right? So after Jesus made the statement to the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, that whoever is without sin, to cast the first stone, right? They all then left one by one because they knew well, each of them was, you know, was not without sin. So they could no longer throw the first stone, right? But legally, if we look at the law, the Jewish law, they had every right to stone her because, you know, adultery was punishable by death, punishable by stoning. But when Jesus came and said, let him who is without, the first, uh, or without sin cast the first stone, they were all disqualified from that. But Jesus wasn't. See, that's the other side of that we don't really look at as often. Jesus still could have casted a stone at her because he actually was without sin, but yet he didn't. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, right? Now, raise your hand if you believe that that woman was successful and never sinning again. 
I guarantee you she wasn't. It's not written anywhere, but unless she was trampled by a camel or a donkey or whatever animals they have in, in that area, I don't really know my geographical uh, animals like that, but uh, unless she died right away after leaving that scene, I guarantee you she fell short. Right? And I think it's also fair to say that Jesus knew that she was going to fall short, and yet he still didn't condemn her. Right? And it's important to know that, that it wasn't just that he was forgiving her of her sins at that point. He knew that there was no way she was going to be able to fulfill the command that he had just given her, and yet he still didn't condemn her. So while we absolutely should not condemn ourselves, we also should not condemn others, right? Now, we as a church, it's easy for us to pass judgment on each other, and I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody, right? You see or hear somebody say a cuss word, and you're like, oh boy, would they talk to Jesus that way, you know? God forbid we see somebody smoking a cigarette, a Christian smoking a cigarette. That is the temple of the living God you're contaminating, right? Or if you see a a fellow Christian out to eat having a couple glasses of wine, drunkard, right? We just, we condemn them immediately. And we do so because we have the convictions from the Holy Spirit, but we need to recognize that each of us has a relationship with God and we each receive convictions from the Holy Spirit that we might not always agree with, right? And, and the best example of this in the church is alcohol. And, and I, I see Pastor Grimace in here because I'm going <laughs> to ruffle some feathers, but that's just what I'm supposed to do. A couple groups of people here, right, on the, this alcohol for Christians debate. You've got the one side that believes that the wine that Jesus made out of water was just some really good grape juice. You know, it was the sweetest Welch's grape juice you've ever had in your life, right? <laughs> And then you've got the other side, the everything in moderation crowd, right? They believe, hey, we can do whatever we want. As long as we don't get drunk, we're good. But where's that line at uh, of being drunk? That gets a little wobbly as you go, right? (laughs) And then you've got the others that are kind of in the middle that say, you know what? I don't really care what you do. I know what God told me. And, And that's healthy, right? It's okay for us to have a conversation about whether or not we're setting the right examples. It's okay for us to share what God has convicted us of but we should not condemn others for our convictions. Just because they do something that's not necessarily something we agree with doesn't mean that they're going to hell, right? I'm sorry, but drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, not necessarily going to be what gets you to hell. In fact, it'll probably get you there faster. Or sorry, to heaven, that is. Not going to be the reason you get to heaven. It'll be what gets you there a little bit faster. So we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't condemn or, uh, other folks because we don't agree with them. Now, again, I want you all to hear this with mature ears, right? There are non-negotiables. I'm not saying that, you know, you can disagree with, with somebody's sin. If you break one of the Ten Commandments, I mean, there's not much room for negotiation there. Sin is sin, right? Is drunkenness a sin? Absolutely, it is. Now, again, the moderation crowd, they just have some questions on where that, that line is, right? But... <laughs> It is, you know, it, drunkenness is absolutely a sin, and we need to hold ourselves to that standard. But either way, even if somebody falls, don't go and say, I told you so. Don't try to go and preach your convictions on them. Just pick them up. Walk with them. Encourage them to hear the Holy Spirit for themselves and to act on the conviction that the Holy Spirit gives them. Amen? All right. And also, like, how many saints and heroes of the faith? I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but, you know, if we get a little more specific, uh, all the different 
uh, heroes of the faith, the things that they messed up on, right? And, and it, who are we to condemn them? Adam and Eve, we already know that. We're not going to talk about, you know, what they did. It's their fault. Noah, <laughs> Noah was in the everything in moderation crowd, you know? And he, he lost sight of that line, lost his clothes, you know, all that stuff, right? Um, Abraham didn't believe what God said he was going to do. So he tried to take things into his own hand. Moses spoke to the rock, or sorry, Moses didn't speak to the rock when God told him to. Instead, he was frustrated with the idiot, I mean the Israelites, and he, he struck the rock because he saw that that worked again. He didn't listen to the voice of God. Because of that, he didn't get to see the promised land, right? David committed adultery and murder, right? I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Solomon had 700 wives. That's just stupid, okay? Sin or not, that's just stupid, right? But it, it, they turned his heart away from God, right? Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times after promising face-to-face that he wasn't going to do it, but yet he still did. And even Paul, right, the great apostle, he, uh, he alluded to a struggle with sin in Romans chapter 7, right, verses 14 through 25. Now, I know this is going to be a little bit of long reading, but this is good stuff, and a lot of it is repetitive, but I really want you to hear what Paul is saying in this passage, right? So please don't fall asleep because that's going to mess up my, my self-confidence, right? But Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong... This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And see, he goes on in Romans chapter 8. That's the end of chapter 7, which is kind of weird because most of the time you start a new chapter and it's kind of a new topic or subject. This one, I don't really understand the the break in chapters, but it's not for me to understand, I guess. But he carries on in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and he gives us this amazing promise, something for us to hold on to, where he says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Amen? So if... Paul himself, the great apostle, and all these other heroes of the faith have all fallen short, then why don't we give ourselves a little bit of mercy for our own mistakes 
then why don't we give our brothers and sisters a little bit of mercy too, right? If they couldn't get it right, why do we have such high expectations for ourselves? Amen? All right. So moving on to the next point, the power of a transformed mind. A uh, little side note here. When I first got saved, I had MySpace. Raise your hand if you were, were on MySpace back in the day. All right, a few of you, a few of you there. So MySpace, you could change your name to whatever you want. When I first got saved, I changed my name on there to Power of a Transformed Mind. Um, so kind of a cool thing. But how do we do this, right? How do we uh, receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit but deny the condemnation that the enemy will try to put on us? Well, I believe the answer is largely found, in, again, in Romans, but in chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, I highly encourage anybody, if you've never read Romans, please read all of it in one sitting um, or multiple. But if you've read it before, read it again. It's an amazing book, right? But Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then... You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And kind of uh, circling back with the last point of not judging others based on our own convictions, I, I find it really interesting that Paul said that you will learn to know God's will for you. Doesn't just say you'll learn God's will. Doesn't say you'll learn God's will for your neighbor. You'll learn God's will for you. So just something to kind of keep in mind there, right? But having this, right, knowing that we need to transform our mind, um, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, how do we do that in practicality? Like, how do we actually walk that out? It's easy for me to stand up here and recite verses at you, but what are you going to do when you, when you walk away from here? So I've got four sub-points, and then we're going to go home, right? So number one, starts with prayer, right? Thank God for what he has already given you, what he's already done in your life. Thank him for saving you. Thank him for all the blessings that he's given you, and then ask him to step in and help you overcome the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, ask him to highlight his conviction in your life so that you can see right from wrong, so that it's a clear path forward, right? Ask him to help you. He's already, always ready and willing to do so. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's in the same spot, but are we looking to him or are we looking to ourselves, right? Pray about it, always. Point number two, identify the source, Right? So when we're new Christians, new believers, oftentimes we're surrounded by people that you know, we were like-minded with before. And now we've got this conviction, we've got this new belief system that we didn't have before, and it's not realistic to think that they're just going to change the way that they live just to accommodate you. That's not how the world works, right? So unfortunately, sometimes we have to separate ourselves from people that we care about, people that we love, because we want to walk in the way that God has called us to, but they're not living in the same way, right? So sometimes we have to make a difficult decision with relationships, right? If you struggle with drinking, pretty obvious, probably shouldn't go to a bar or go to somewhere where alcohol is being served, right? If you know that there's a temptation that you struggle with, don't put yourself in that position. Just refrain from going there altogether, right? Uh, social media is, is one of the biggest triggers that there is for sin, right? And I will say, I'll preface this by saying that my conviction, I don't have any social media. This is my conviction, so I apologize if I'm pushing that on you. I just want to share with you what I believe has helped me and hopefully could help others. But jealousy and envy, right? You go through social media and you see all these posts of people that have a perfect life. You know, they've got it all figured out, you know? And you get jealous. You get envious of them. Like, 
why does that person get a brand new car? And here I am working my butt off, and I got this hoopty that I've got to drive around, right? Like, we get jealous. We get envious of it. And, and it's, unfortunately, most of what they say isn't even real, you know? They, they only post what you want, you know, what they want you to see, right? We get jealous of that. We get envious. Anger and lust, right? You see somebody post something from a different political party than you, and boy, do we get angry, right? For no reason. And we go on there and we start uh, attacking people because they have a different viewpoint, a different opinion than us, right? We get angry. And lust, you can't always control what pops up on your newsfeed. And once it's there, once you see it, it's hard to flee from it, right? So if you struggle with any of these things, I would highly recommend that you just rid social media of your life. Uh, you'd probably be happier for it anyway. But that's just my opinion. You do with it what you want. Regardless, find out what is causing you to stumble. Find out what it is that's causing you to trip up, that you constantly feel this guilt and shame about. What is it that you're doing that you need to change? And then put mechanisms in place to prevent you from doing those things again, right? Next point, fill the empty house. So in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about the, the man that was delivered from a demonic spirit. He says that if a, a, the spirit goes on to the desert, all that, but then comes back and finds that house empty and swept and clean, and so he brings seven of his friends in to fill that house again. Well, it's the same thing here. If you're used to spending five hours a day on social media and you don't fill that time with something productive and something that points to God, inevitably, you're going to fall right back into where you were before, right, and probably worse, right? So you need to fill your time, fill the house with things of God, things that are going to keep you occupied, that are going to keep you focused on what he has for you, right? If you struggle with depression or condemning yourself, then it, maybe you should put on worship music a little bit more often. Listen to podcasts, listen to sermons, listen to this one over and over if you want, right? Uh, it, just listen to things that are going to fill your ears, fill your eyes with things that point to God. And if you do that, the enemy has no space to come back in and bring condemnation, right? And the last point here, remember your inheritance, right? There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Repeat it over and over. He gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. We are going to mess up. Guarantee you. Some of, some of y'all, it's going to happen before you even walk out of here. I, it might be me, you know. I might be the one that says something wrong before we even walk out of here. But God has promised us that if we repent, he will pick us up every single time no matter what. doesn't matter what we do, right? He, if we repent, he will pick us up. So Maria, if you could come on up, play the keys as we close here. So when we talk about reaching out from a position of strength, right, it's all about reaching the lost, giving the world what, what we have, what they need, which is Jesus, right? But we can't do that if we're stuck in condemnation. Pastor Rod always says that we are the conduit in which divine favor flows. Well, you can't be a, a good conduit if it's clogged by con condemnation, right? So we need to free ourselves of that today. We need to get rid of that guilt and shame and focus on the conviction that the Holy Spirit gives us, that strong belief of what is right and wrong. And when we realize or recognize the things that are wrong in our lives, don't condemn yourself. Don't dwell on it. Instead, repent go and sin no more. So I'd be failing today if I didn't give everyone the opportunity 
to start the relationship with Christ, right? Because before we can have that conviction of the Holy Spirit, we first must accept Christ into our heart. We must first declare him as Lord and Savior before we can receive those promises. And I don't know where everybody's at today with their walk with God or in their lives. So uh, I'm going to ask that everybody, if you're uh, willing to, repeat this prayer after me. I've probably said it a thousand times. It's okay to, to give your life to Christ every single day, right? He's not going to be mad at that. Amen. So if you could, if you don't mind, bow your heads and repeat after me. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe that he is the son of God and that you raised him from the dead. So today, I accept the love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so now no matter what, no matter where you were before when you walked in here, at this point, you all should be able to receive the conviction, or not should, you all will be able to receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So now what I want to do is I just want to pray for us all. I just want us to, uh, if you're willing, if you would say that you struggle with condemnation, if you struggle with guilt, with shaming yourself, for, if you struggle with blaming yourself for things that you have done wrong, and you want to be freed of that today, then I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as we pray. And you don't have to repeat after me. I'm just going to pray over all of us, and then Pastor Rob will come up to release us. Father God, I thank you for each and every person in here today and everybody listening online. I thank you for the hearts that you have given us to do your will, God. Lord, we thank you for the conviction that you give us through your Holy Spirit. And God, right now, we break off the curse of condemnation in Jesus' name. Lord, we just cast out guilt. We cast out shame right now in Jesus' name. We say, be free. And Lord, we just ask that you would fill each and every person here with your love, with your compassion, and with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And help us, as we leave here today, to go and sin no more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.